0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, September 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is re-energizing the issue of women's reproductive rights. We examine the fate of Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban following her death. Then the Speaker of the House lays out his priorities for the final days of an unorthodox session. Plus, Trust for America's Health releases its annual State of Obesity report. We look at how Mississippi fares. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban is one of a number of cases that's on the docket to be reviewed by the U.S. Supreme Court. But the death of U.S. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg will delay hearing the case and is re-energizing the debate over reproductive rights at the federal level. The Mississippi legislature has led the way in passing restrictive abortion bans in an effort to bring the abortion issue back before the U.S. Supreme Court, according to Stacey Fox. She's president of Planned Parenthood of the Southeast, which represents Mississippi, Georgia, and Alabama. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals struck down the state's 15-week abortion ban last year and a six-week ban this year. Mississippi then asked the high court to hear the cases. Fox tells our Desiree Fraser, the life of Justice Ginsburg is a testament to the advancement of women's rights.
1: We all have credit cards in our wallets thanks to her. We have access to resources thanks to her um women who are pregnant have uh, freedoms and access that they didn't have um, before her fight, so I think it's important that we honor her legacy but I think it you know what's on our mind obviously is uh, what she was thinking about as she was uh, leaving this world right what it would mean when the court changed uh, and the the politics of the court and I think unfortunately the court has become political and so, you know, now given the fact that there are 17 cases in the pipeline that deal directly with abortion access and, you know, uh, lots more that have to do with civil rights, including two out of Mississippi, right? We're thinking about timelines and cadence and, you know, what this could mean for the long term, I think. Um, most importantly, though, you know, we all... Uh, and, and this is something we do really well at Planned Parenthood, right? Um, we're incredibly resilient. I mean, we're allowing ourselves a time to mourn and honor and, and we're girding up for a fight. I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, I mean, there there wasn't a moment lost by our opposition on Friday night to even uh, honor this amazing human's passing before they came at access to abortion, you know, on social media from the Senate and from the White House and um, we're up for a fight, and we will fight this every step of the way to make sure that uh, people who can get pregnant, that women have access to uh, their full rights, and that includes bodily autonomy.
2: Why is this issue important to you?
1: I, I think the issue for me and t- and at Planned Parenthood, um, the issue of abortion is important because b- honestly i don't I don't think this issue was actually about abortion. I think this is about this fight for our very basic human rights and today it is um, framed around abortion by our opposition, um, both you know in front of our clinics and in our capitals. But yesterday it was about contraception, and before that it was the right to vote or the right to own property. You know we've been in this fight uh, against oppression against women for decades. You know this is a tale as old as time. Um, and this is our part of that fight, and we believe that, you know, women should have control of their bodies, and these should not be political issues. These should be issues that are left between a woman and her family and her physician and her faith.
2: Mississippi has been in the forefront, the legislature, trying to restrict abortion and has passed a number of of bills to do so that have been signed by governors in that arena they've been blocked but your thoughts on the state's efforts along with other states to end abortion
1: yeah i mean that's right i mean mississippi seems to be one of the testing grounds for a lot of this legislation we see it in mississippi before we see it anywhere right um but i also think you know uh we're not doing a lot to take the temperature of Mississippians. You know, in 2011, um, we overwhelmingly defeated a constitutional amendment that would have impeded access to abortion and contraception in Mississippi. Um, But we have two cases out of Mississippi right now that are in the pipeline on their way to the Supreme Court. In fact, one that was meant to be on the docket this week, um, the 15-week abortion ban that the, the court was set to take up.
2: I'm wondering, with the eight justices... If they decide to take up the Mississippi case, Justice Roberts would be, I mean, there's eight people. How would that work?
1: Well, if there's a tie at the Supreme Court, the lower court decision is upheld. You know, so in the 15-week ban, there is an injunction. It's been permanently enjoined, meaning it doesn't go into effect. So if, for you know, if you were just to play that case out, for example, if the Supreme Court were to pick up that case and the decision were a tie, the lower court decision stands.
2: Stacey Fox with Planned Parenthood Southeast, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really honored. Thanks for doing the story, Desiree.
0: The vacancy on the high court made by the death of Justice Ginsburg has ignited a political battle with the landmark decision of Roe v. Wade at the core. Pro-Life Mississippi, a nonprofit organization opposed to abortion, is taking part in a nationwide 40 days for life prayer vigil. President Laura Duran says they hope the vacancy is filled by someone who will overturn the 1973 decision. My thoughts
3: on stopping abortion is I would hope that we could have a Supreme court judge that would honor. um, I hope that one is appointed that will honor life and know how to go in and undo some of the things that have have been done against the unborn uh, baby in the womb. Now, I understand that uh, Justice Ginsburg is what they call a trailblazer. She's an icon of the Supreme Court for many, many years. But we've disagreed, pro-life has disagreed with her judicial position on life values. Uh, we recognize that she's a dedicated person to her legal profession and her service to our country, but we we certainly pray that the next person appointed uh, would understand that we are destroying our future in the womb. Uh, The recent vacancy in the Supreme Court is a turning point. It's a new direction, we pray, for the nation in the fight to protect its most vulnerable, the unborn. So that's what we're hoping. That's what we're praying for. Is for a change to uh, support life and not death.
2: Ultimately, then, you would like to see Roe v. Wade overturned.
3: Always. We've always, uh, uh, you know, wanted that. All these years, since 1973, I think we fell asleep at the wheel, so to speak, when that passed through, which was based on lies. And... Um, We have this chance now. God has given us an open door, and uh, we knew it would be coming sooner or later, you know. Uh, Life is just evident. Death is evident um, in age. But uh, we're just praying and um, hoping that our politicians will see the need to... um, Save life and not kill it.
2: The Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, wants to move ahead with President Trump's pick, which he's supposed to announce on Friday, uh, some nominees for the Supreme Court. Do you agree that that's the way to do it? Or should it happen, should that vacancy be filled after the election by whoever is elected president?
3: I am not a politician, I am not a legal authority, and I trust our president to do the right thing, and I believe that he will. I believe our Senate majority will do the right thing uh, as best they can. If they don't, we're very disappointed with them.
2: Laura Duran, thank you so much um, with Pro-Life Mississippi for speaking with us uh, about the these issues that are important to you and important to um, in the the discussion that is being had in our state and around the country about the U.S. Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade.
3: Right, right. And thank you so much for giving us that opportunity.
0: Pro-Life Mississippi will be holding its 40 Days for Life campaign beginning Wednesday. They'll have prayer vigils in Jackson in front of the state's only abortion clinic. State Senator Angela Hill of Picayune is an outspoken opponent of abortion. She was one of the authors of the six-week abortion ban. Hill supports the president's decision to nominate the next justice.
3: I just feel like God is moving. I think that our founders were not godless people. Um, I think they respected life. There's a reason why there's a clause that that most schoolchildren used to be taught about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, I think that it says a lot about society um, that how far we've come, how far Democrats have come to push abortions. I mean, it, it's gone absolutely crazy over the years, and quite honestly, I think it's lost all that radicalism has lost support, and that's that's kind of where we are. And I think that you know, if we have a chance to have somebody other than Ruth Bader Ginsburg hear hear that case, I think that's you
4: know, a a
0: good thing. Justice Ginsburg will lie in repose tomorrow and Thursday in front of the U.S. Supreme Court and will lie in state in the Capitol's Statuary Hall on Friday. Coming up, Mississippi's Speaker of the House reflects on an unorthodox legislative session and lays out his priorities for the final days. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Mississippi legislature is expected to reconvene in the next couple of weeks to complete the session and assess how the state is spending more than $1 billion in federal coronavirus relief. Speaking virtually to reporters during the Stennis Press Forum, House Speaker Philip Gunn says lawmakers want to ensure those funds are spent before they expire.
5: We are aware of some... Some issues that are out there that are not necessarily, uh, well, the CARES Act related, but they don't necessarily have to do with um, all of them expenditures of money. But the main purpose for returning is to evaluate where those dollars were designated back in June and have those dollars been spent, uh, how much? how many of those dollars have been spent, how much do we have left over, do we want to move some of those dollars around, you know, that sort of thing. And that's that's our plan is to make sure that we get the dollars where they get the maximum return. And then I think there's provision in some of those bills that say if the dollars are not spent, then they go into a particular fund. For example, employment security. You know, the unemployment fund was hit pretty hard. And uh, I think it's uh, before the pandemic, I think the number was $750 million in the trust fund. I think it's down to $450 million now. Obviously, we would like to get that back up if we could. So if we have that money, we'll look at dumping some of it into that trust fund. So those are the kinds of things that we needed to to reevaluate. That's why we're coming back. As you all know, the CARES Act money has got to be spent by December 30th. So we're trying to make sure we do that.
0: Unspent CARES Act funds cannot go into the state's budget for next year or make up for this year's losses. Gunn says the state's conservative approach to spending over the last eight years helped the state adapt to an economy shocked by the pandemic.
5: Before the pandemic hit, I believe Mississippi was in the best financial shape that it had been in in a long time. We were actually up uh, about $200 million over estimate in, in March. Uh, Unfortunately, in April, we went down $246 So we basically wiped out all the gains that we had made. But we moved some money out of last fiscal year into the current fiscal year. And then uh, the the, the month of July, month of August uh, of these first two months have been fairly positive. I guess it depends on what you were expecting. Obviously, all of us were expecting the economy to be pretty, pretty hard hit. And that's not to say that it hadn't been. But I don't think it's as bad as we had anticipated. So um, we're going to continue to deal with the the pandemic, continue to deal with the economic impact of that, continue to have to make some tough decisions on spending, trying to make sure that we don't get ourselves in a financial bind. But I am proud of the fact that we were in good financial shape before it hit. That helped us absorb many of the blows that we took, and uh, hopefully the recovery won't be nearly as painful.
0: The economy, once booming, has become a focal point of the election. Yesterday was the first day for absentee voting in Mississippi, but the state is facing a number of lawsuits to expand voting options during the pandemic. Gunn says the legislature won't likely address the issue when it reconvenes.
5: Secretary of State is, is uh, obviously monitoring that very closely. We are working, uh, I say we, I, I, I'm aware that there are people working with him to try to address all those concerns. Um, we have uh, talked about that, but at this point, I'm not aware of any deviations, significant deviations, other than what the secretary of state is planning to do.
0: Some Mississippi voters are already casting their ballots ahead of the November election as a long line formed outside the Hines County Courthouse yesterday. Linda Raff of Jackson says she wishes there were more options for voting so she could avoid contact that could spread the coronavirus.
3: Well, I'm 65, and I just preferred to vote now rather than later, thinking it might be in a long line or something.
4: Gotcha. So it would be the long lines. Is there anything else that concerned you or just reasons you wanted to vote early?
3: Um, uh, Some concern about the virus, yeah. I just thought this would be a smaller
4: venue. So um, as far as options go would you prefer to have some way to vote from home to be away from all the crowds or are you happy with this solution of voting
3: i think we need as many options to vote as possible so that we encourage everybody to vote i mean that's our god-given right in this country in my view and uh, i just would like everybody to have options because everybody has a different situation
2: so
0: yeah voter linda raff with our kobe Last week, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights filed a preliminary injunction asking for an immediate response to a federal lawsuit filed in part by the League of Women Voters. Coming up, Trust for America's Health releases its annual state of obesity report. We look at how Mississippi fares. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Blues
3: Archive is a collection of sound recordings, photographs, memorabilia. Join
5: me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We get researchers and blues fans from all over the world.
0: Over 70,000 audio recordings in the Blues Archive. You
5: can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast.
0: This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi, again, has the highest adult obesity rate in the country at 40.8%. That's according to the State of Obesity, Better Policies for a Healthier America. The 17th Annual Report from Trust for America's Health provides state-by-state rankings of adult obesity rates, information on trends by region, age, gender, and ethnicity. Rhea Farberman is the Trust Communications Director.
4: Forty percent of U.S. adults have obesity. Mississippi's rate is forty point eight percent of adults with obesity, uh, and childhood obesity is also on the on the rise and uh, a concern nationally. Just over nineteen percent of children ages two to nineteen have obesity. In Mississippi, your Mississippi your rate for uh, children. With obesity is is quite high. It's 25 percent. One in four children in the state have obesity.
0: What age range is that? Is that uh, up to age 18? Uh,
4: yes. It's, uh, for the state number, it's children 10 to 17.
0: Now, it seems to me that Mississippi adults used to be above the national number. Has the national number gone up or has Mississippi gone down?
4: national number is uh, has been on a trajectory up. Um, Mississippi was, um, yeah. You know, it's hard to compare the state numbers and the national numbers. They're done a little bit differently, but both at nat- nationally and at the state level, numbers are going up. Now, Mississippi for the first time has the highest obesity rate of any state in the nation. Used to be second. Um, West Virginia used to be first. You're now second. So um, certainly, there's a there's a, there's a The trajectory is going in the wrong direction um, and something that the state needs to work on and every state in the nation needs to work on.
0: And as you noted, the childhood obesity level is much higher in Mississippi. What accounts for that? What is the biggest reason why our children are obese?
4: Well, obesity is a complex problem, so it's hard to point to any one particular underlying cause, but it's the conditions in kids' lives, um, and it's the conditions in adults' lives that lead to obesity as well. Of course, it's food choice, uh, Although children have less control over their food choices. They have parents and teachers and school administrators who should be modeling the way and helping them make healthy food choices. But it's a combination for all of us. It's a combination of what you eat, how much physical activity you get, and are there barriers in your community that prevent you from making healthy food choices? Okay, let's look at the school day and talk about the number of of opportunities within a school day to help help young people make healthy choices and and participate in healthy activities. For instance, if a child can walk to school, if there is a safe route to school, safe sidewalks, that they can walk to school and walk home from school, that's going to get them moving during the day and help them burn some calories. Now, in Mississippi, you have a lot of rural areas that may not be possible, but where it's possible, that would be great. Um, At school, most children eat between half and two-thirds of the calories they consume during the day are taken at school. So let's make sure that those school meals and school snacks are high-nutrition value, healthy choices, and get kids in the habit of making the healthy selection.
0: If a child is obese, what are the chances or odds that that child will become an obese adult?
4: Yeah, it's a great question, and and the chances are very high. It is likely that an obese child will become an obese adult. And that's particularly alarming because obesity leads to many serious health conditions, diabetes, heart disease, and some cancers. And one phenomenon that we're seeing now in children is that they are being diagnosed with conditions that we used to only see in adults, things like hypertension um, and high cholesterol as well.
0: Let's talk about the pandemic now. Uh, we know that people who are obese, adults who are obese, are at a great risk for developing complications if they test positive for COVID-19. Why is that the case? Mississippi already has a high poverty rate, so this certainly doesn't help that in regard to access to food, affordable food, healthy food. Why the disparities between races? Why is an African-American adult more likely to be obese than a white adult?
4: Yeah, well, I think you're you you, you, you you're getting at something in your question. Um, black adults, by the way, have the highest level of adult obesity. Almost 50% of black adults, 49.6% have obesity. And among black women, 57% of, of black adult women have obesity. So it's an alarming uh, phenomenon in, in the African-American community. Um, and there is a very strong association between poverty and obesity for the food insecurity reasons we just talked about. And, you know, the barriers to healthy, healthy choices about food and about physical activity um, are, are very much there in, in, in the communities of color. Um, It's harder if you are stressed by your work situation, you're stressed by your financial situation, to make time to be physically active, for example, um, to make healthy food choices. So we really need to put policies in place that that make healthy food choices and healthy lifestyle choices easier for everyone.
0: Ria, where can people access this report?
4: It's on our website, which is www.tfah.org, Trust for America's Health, tfah.org. It's right there on the homepage.
0: Rhea Farmerman is the Director of Communications for the Trust for America's Health. Thank you so much for the good information. Thank you, Karen. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio.